welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. We're going to continue the story um, of Paul today um, as he sets off for his second missionary journey. Um, and he is with a team. He's not by himself. If you remember last week, uh, Jared talked about last week how uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas uh, had a disagreement and they split apart and Barnabas took Mark with him uh, and went down um, uh, to Crete, I believe it was. And, um, and Paul took Silas and he went uh, upwards uh, and he, they stopped by, by Derb, they stopped by Lystra, they picked up Timothy on the way. Um, and so Timothy is, uh, is joined with them. And there's this awesome little missionary team that they have going on today. Um, and we're going to be talking about what they encounter uh, and, and, and what, their, uh, uh, what, their, what their goal is in, 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 in their missionary journey. Um, but I want to re- stop and remind us. Um, remind us of why we are here. Uh, not just why we're here at Riverside this morning. Uh, you're here to worship uh, with us, hopefully. Um, but I want to re- remind us why we're here on the planet, right? Why we are here, what our purpose is um, on this planet. Why did God put me here? What is my reason for life? What is my reason for living? And it's very simple. Our reason for living is to know God and to make him known, to know God and to make him known. You see, we as human beings are created in the image of God. And that's just not uh, a description of a noun of we're created in an image, but it's also a verb. We are created not only in the image, but we are created to image God, to reflect God to the world like no other creation can. And so we are created to image God. That is our purpose. That is our reason for being here. And especially us as Christians, as God has redeemed us as his own. And he is working within us to be able to rightly image him. You see sin, it gets in there and it mars. It, it like dirties the mirror so you don't get a good reflection, right? And, and, and being a child of God is like cleaning that mirror to a certain degree to where we can better reflect who God is to the world. And this is our purpose for living. It's not just reserved for vocational ministers. It's not reserved for just missionaries. It's reserved for every believer that place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We, we are to image and to reflect Jesus Christ. And sometimes uh, we may miss opportunities to reflect Jesus Christ. And sometimes we may uh, miss opportunities to have gospel conversations. Because sometimes we let our circumstances control us. Rather than us controlling and being over our circumstances. Or capitalizing really on the circumstances that we have no control over. I want us to see this morning in Scripture that in all circumstances, which is a lot of what we're going to look at in Scripture, that Paul and his team were determined to share the gospel with the lost. And this morning, I want you to see that in every circumstance in our lives, every circumstance in our lives is an opportunity to make Christ known to the world. Um, I'm going to give you six 
<laughs> you guessed it, self-reflecting questions this morning. The past couple times I've preached, I've been on this self-reflecting question type kick, and I, I, I'm continuing with it. I like the self-reflecting question thing, so sticking with it as long as it works for me. So I'm going to give you six self-reflecting questions to ask yourself and, and, and answer. And then I'm going to give you the answer of what it, it should be. But, but really, seriously, take inventory on yourself and do this. And so let's jump right in. The first self-reflecting question is this. If you have your bulletin, you might have a sermon note outline, a, a place for you to take notes. Or you have your smartphone or you have whatever you have to take notes. If you write it on your hand, I don't care. Take the notes. Uh, and so uh, write these six self-reflecting questions down, and we're going to talk about them. The first one is this. What do I do when God ruins my plans? What do I do when God ruins my plans? We pick up here with Silas and Paul splitting from Barnabas and Mark, and, and, and their plan is to do this. Their plan is to, to go westward. That's what they want to do. They've already been eastward. They've already spread the gospel over here. But they want to go to the west. And they want to go to the west of, of Asia Minor. They have different regions in, 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 this, in, in, in this part of the world. And one of them is called Asia or Asia Minor. Okay, And so they're wanting to go west into Asia Minor. Towns like and cities like Ephesus. You've heard of that before. Uh, cities like Colossae. Uh, cities like... Uh, um, uh, uh, Laodicea, uh, cities like Thyatira, cities like Sardis. Um, they're wanting to go there, all right? But as we read in Acts chapter 16, God puts a wrench in that plan, all right? And he says, no, sir, you're not going that way. All right, so everybody read with me. Acts chapter 16, verse 6, it says this, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden, or because they were forbidden, by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, I know these are a lot of places that are mentioned. And I know that probably 99% of us do not know where these places are. Not only are they on the other side of the world, but they're in a completely different time period. And a lot of these places aren't there anymore. Most of these places are not there anymore. And most of these places are ruins. So what I did for you was because the first half of the sermon includes a lot of these places, is I put some maps in the computer for you <laughs> to, so that you could have the visual to see exactly where they're going. So let's see how this works. All right, uh, there we go. It popped up. Perfect. All right, so this is Asia Minor. This is where Paul starts. You see that, that little yellow line going, that squiggly yellow line that's going everywhere? Look to the right, to the bottom of Syria. That's where Paul starts. He picks up. Where it, it, that, in that little jet right there to the to the right uh, above Pisidia, all right. So he picks up. That's where he picks up Timothy, and 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 he he picks up Timothy there. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy are are journeying there. This is Paul's second missionary journey. If you can't see this very well, flip to the back of your. If you have the maps in the back of your Bible, uh, flip that uh, and and look at Paul's second missionary journey. And this is what he does. This is sixteen verse six. This is chapter sixteen verse six. They went through the region. Of Phrygia, you see it? And Galatia, they went through that region, all right? And, and, and then they cut across because God had prevented them. You see where Ephesus is all the way on the left side of the map? 
God had prevented them from going to that region which they were planning to go. Ephesus, Colossae, um, uh, um, uh, Thyatira, uh, Sardis, um, uh, Laodicea, all those places there. Lydia, which is in Thyatira. And that's where they wanted to go. But God said, no, you're not going to go there. In fact, you're going to go up. So they're planning on going up, and this is where I want to pick up in verses 7 and 8. You can listen along and look at the map, or you can read along with me. And when they had come up to Mijah, you see Mijah there to the left. When they had come up to Mijah at the, at the bottom of Bithynia and Pontus there, when they had come up to Mijah, verse 7, they attempted to go into Bith, uh, Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Again, God is directing them away from places, not to places, away from places. So passing through Mysia, they went down all the way to the left side. I highlighted it for you, put a star there to Troas, to Troas. So they go to Troas, which is a port city. And now at this point, they're giving absolutely no direct, uh, no direction. They are only going, this is going to prove uh, important for us. They are only going in the places And they're only going forward, and they only know to go forward by the doors that God shuts. By the doors that God shuts. He shut the door to go to the western side. He shut the door to go to the north. They were not allowed to travel. We don't know how the Spirit of God spoke to them. We don't know if it was internal. We don't know if it was external. We don't know. That's not the point. The point is, is that the Spirit of God did not allow them to go in these areas. And at this point, Paul could have probably complained and said, you know what, Lord, we have prayed and we have prepared to go into the western part, to Ephesus, to Colossae. Or we have, you know, went with plan B to go in Bithynia and Pontus. We have gone with plan B, but Lord, you are shutting all the doors. We can't do anything in this region. And my question is for you is, have your plans been ruined like this in life? How many of you, if I had to raise your hand, if you are above the age of 20, everything that you planned in life came out to exactly the way that you planned it. If I asked you, I'm not going to ask you to, because if someone did raise their hand, that would totally ruin the sermon. All right. So, but if, if I asked you to raise your hand and everything went exactly right, I'd probably have zero hands raised because Things just don't go how we plan, right? And things didn't go for how Paul planned. Things didn't go how Silas and Timothy planned. They planned to go west, or they planned plan B. They planned to go north, but God had a different plan for them. Maybe you're at that point in your life where all you know is the doors that are slamming in your face right now. Maybe, maybe you've been there. Maybe you're going into a season like that. Maybe you're, you just got out of a place like that where the doors just keep shutting and shutting and shutting and you're like, God, I don't know what's going on. But I'm trusting you. And see, our, I can tell you story after story of places where I thought God was leading me to and things that I thought that God was leading me to and he didn't give them. And he didn't let me go. He didn't let me go west. He didn't let me go north. And I responded wrongly. You know what I did? I I, I thank God that he's so patient with us. (laughs) He's so patient with us. I went, why? Lord, why? 
I'm just trying to spread your word. I'm just trying to, 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 to live the gospel life. I'm just trying. You, do you know what I've done for you? Do you know what I've done for your kingdom? This is the best plan. I'm telling God at this moment, God, this is the best plan. <laughs> it's a bad idea to tell God that this is the best plan and your way is not the best plan, right? And Paul and Silas and Timothy, they don't find themselves at this point, though. They are not telling God, God, we have plans to go here. They're not complaining. They're not whining. You know what they're doing? They're trusting. They're trusting. They're not freaking out. (laughs) And it reminds me of Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21, right? Many are the plans of a man, but the Lord's purpose prevails. Many are the plans of a man, but the Lord's purpose prevails. (laughs) It's him who guides Why do we think that we know better than God sometimes? Why do we think that we have a better plan than him? It's because we want to control the outcome, right? We want to control what's coming into our lives, but he knows what needs to happen. How can we think that we can control better and we can plan better than someone who knows the future and who has ordained the future? And we don't know What the next five minutes hold? I could drop dead right here on this stage in the next five minutes. Lord, please let me finish the sermon before I do that. But I don't know what the next five minutes holds. How do we think that we can plan better than them? But but Paul's not doing this. Paul's not crying. He's not whining. They're saying, he's not saying, God, after all we've done for you, let us go there. But Paul and his team are determined just to share the gospel anywhere. They're not going through the doors that God shuts. They're not trying to force the doors open. They're not turning around. This is a big point. They're not turning around and going back to Antioch. They're continuing forward. They're continuing forward. They go to Troas. And there's a reason why. There's a result that happens. And they didn't turn back. They trusted God. And I want to read verses 9 and 10. Because this is something that if you don't pay attention to Scripture, this is why you've got to pay attention when you read. Because if you don't pay attention, you'll miss it. You'll miss it. And I'm going to point it out. All right, and a vision, verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I wanted to point out two things here. Number one, when they, when they went as far as they could go and the doors were shut and they went as far as they could go, it was then that God provided direction for them. I'm not saying that happens all the time. And I'm not saying that's all that, that's, that's what happens 99% of the time. But I am saying that sometimes God shuts doors and we don't know where to go until we get to the place where I don't know where to go, Lord. I'm depending on you. And when we do that, he may just open the door. Is that rain? Wow. Thank God we're in here. Amen. All right. And the second thing I want you to point out, did you catch it? Verse 10. Did you catch it? There's a pronoun change in verse 10. Look at it. Verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. All up until this point. This is why we have to read our scripture very carefully. Because all up until this point, the pronouns are in the third person. The writer of the book of Acts, which is Luke which is the doctor, the physician, Luke. He's not included within the party. But here in Troas, he's included within the party. 
I don't know if you caught that. They would not have went to Troas if they would have went with Paul's original plan to, to go west. They would have not went to Troas if they would have went up to Bithynia and Pontus to, pray, to, to, to share the gospel there. Instead, because those doors were shut, they went to Troas. And guess who was already there to meet them? Luke. This was not planned, except by God. God had a divine appointment for them in Troas. And Luke is already there. And Luke plays a huge part in the story that we're going to read, although it's not very much mentioned. It's implied. And we're going we're gonna to look that as that. as a, So Luke joins the party there in Troas, and they set sail for Macedonia. I think this is really cool. So the question is, the first question is this. Okay, what should we do when God ruins our plans? What should we do when God ruins our plans? The answer is this. Don't turn back. Keep advancing the gospel. I want everybody to say that. Keep advancing the gospel. Everybody say it. Keep advancing the gospel because that's the key for today's sermon. Keep advancing the gospel. Number two question is this. What do I do when my expectations and reality don't line up? What do I do when my expectations and reality don't line up? Now, Paul's got a vision. God's given him direction. Go to Macedonia. Now, they go to Macedonia, and I'm bringing up this next map right here. All right? You see Troas right there. I zoomed it out. Troas is double underlined. I did that with my little paint tool. All right? And then you see Macedonia up at the very top left-hand corner of the screen. That's Macedonia right there. He's, they're wanting, he's, God's wanting them to sail across the Aegean Sea to go up to Macedonia. And then they're going to go to Philippi, which is a key city in Macedonia. And they're going to share the gospel there in Philippi. I want you to look at the, the boat trip right there from Troas all the way to Neapolis. And they go up to, uh, to Philippi from there. So I want you to, to read verses 11 and, uh, through uh, 15. So setting out from Troas, we made a direct voyage to, to Samothrace. And the following day to, Neo, to, to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi. Now, Neapolis is a port city of Philippi, about 10 miles southeast uh, of Philippi. So they land in Neapolis and they walk up to Philippi 10 miles. And, they, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. Very few cities in the Bible are mentioned as a Roman colony. And the reason why, I'm doing a lot of teaching today, sorry. But the reason why it's mentioned as a Roman colony is because it was starkly Roman. All right? It wasn't Hellenistic. It wasn't Greek. Like a lot of, like the, the lot of Palestine area is. It was strictly Roman. A lot of important events happened here about a hundred years before this. This is where Octavius and, um, and Mark Antony, uh, defeat, uh, Brutus and, uh, and, um, what's it, Cassius and defeat Cassius. Okay. This is, this is where it happens. All right. And so this has a lot of rich Roman history. They are very Roman and this plays into the story into a little bit, in, in a little bit. Let's keep reading. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate to the riverside. Well, shout out to our church where we supposed uh, there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. It was a worshiper of God. 
The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, because they believed, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful in the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. She made them stay at their house. Now, I've got pictures, all right, not only maps, but I've got pictures of the ruins of Philippi here. Uh, This is the ruins of Philippi, and they called it a little Rome. Uh, This is how Roman this city was. Uh, They called it a little Rome, very important city, very well-populated city, um, very, very nationalistic type city. Uh, Here's one of the uh, arenas at Rome. Uh, Here's another shot of that arena right there. And this is uh, a proposed drawing of what the city of Philippi would have probably looked like in Paul's day right here. Uh, and you can see uh, at that at that 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 right hand side the Colosseum that we just looked at, or the arena that we just looked at. Does it help? Does these pictures help? Because it kind of gets you there. It kind of it, it kind of gets you there to to know that Paul walked through one of these gates and he walked into the city, and you see that river that's running beside the mountain. So he's probably going by the river, and this is probably where the women are meeting and where the women are are are, are gathering. Paul's plan of attack. Uh, is always pretty much the same. He goes into a city, and guess what he looks for first in the city? A, a, a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue. And he, and, he, uh, and he shares the gospel at the Jewish synagogue. But even though the city is huge, they don't have a synagogue. And it takes 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue in a city. And so there's not even 10 Jewish people here, not 10 Jewish men here. So the women go outside by the riverside to pray. And this is where Paul gets them. This is where Paul preaches the gospel to them. Now, I want to pause right here. You think with this grand vision of this man from Macedonia saying, come and save us, come and help us, that this would be just like an overwhelming type Jonah Nineveh experience, right? That Paul would go into the city, preach repentance, preach the gospel, preach judgment upon the city, and the the city would repent, turn a, a great awakening, right? That's what you were probably expecting. That's what Paul was probably expecting at this time. But he goes in, and he stays for days, and no one responds. And he goes by the river where these women meet, and he preaches at the river, and only one of them responds. A woman named Lydia And many of us would have used this as as an excuse to quit, right? Lord, you gave me a vision. This was supposed to be a grand awakening of the city. This was supposed to be a grand turning to you, but it's not. Why? Why, Lord, does this happen to me? Why? Are you serious? One household out of all of the city who's got thousands and thousands of people in it, one household turns to the Lord I mean, you sent a vision from Macedonia, from a Macedonian person. Listen, and Lydia is from where? Thyatira, which is where? The original place that Paul wanted to go. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Isn't that just like, Paul could have been like here. God, if you wanted to save Thyatirans, send me to Thyatira where I originally wanted to go in the first place. But you changed my plan. You sent me to Philippi. And the word's not having much impact here, except for one person who happens to be, guess what, from the place where I wanted to go. God, do you really know what you're doing? And he could have asked that. And many of us probably would have asked that. But not Paul here. Paul doesn't, doesn't, doesn't respond like this. He keeps going day after day. 
He keeps advancing the gospel. So here's the question. What should we do when our expectations and reality don't line up? Don't get discouraged. Remember what we chanted a while ago? Keep advancing the gospel. Keep advancing the gospel. Everybody say that with me. Keep advancing the gospel. That's, we're going to say that until we're blue in the face this morning because that is the point of today's t- passage. Number three, the third question is this. And I promise I'm going to go through these a little bit quicker. What do I do when, my, uh, when the enemy unrelentlessly attacks? What do I do when the enemy unrelentlessly attacks? So Paul keeps advancing the gospel. He keeps going day after day to the, to the riverside and day after day throughout the city preaching the gospel. Oh, but the enemy tried to stop him. Even though he's not making much of an impact, the enemy is trying to stop him. And I want you to look in verse 16 with me and see what happens. As they were going to the place of prayer, we were met. Oh, as we, sorry, first person pronouns. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. You see, the enemy had already invaded the culture there at Philippi. This slave girl who was a fortune teller uh, was actually a big deal in this culture at the time. She is considered to be, and the wording here is, she is considered to be a voice piece for Apollo, the god. So anybody steeped in Roman culture and in Roman pagan culture would revere her as the voice of Apollo. Okay? And uh, so what is she doing here? Um, by following them, pr- pronouncing Uh, These men are proclaiming the salvation of God. Aren't they proclaiming the salvation of God? Absolutely, yeah, they're proclaiming the salvation of God. Aren't they spreading the truth? Of course they're spreading the truth. Of course they're spreading with with God. But what the demon is doing here, she's not possessed by a God. She's not speaking for a God. She's possessed by a spirit, by a demon here. And what the demon is doing is the demon is trying to attach itself to Paul and, and, and the message that Paul is preaching so that it discredits Paul and so that it discredits Paul's team. Does this make sense? So the demon is trying to attach himself to that message so that uh, uh, it discredits that completely and it gives the glory to Apollo instead of God. And Paul gets annoyed with it. And I love how he just gets aggravated. He turns around and he says, come out of her. And, and, and it does that very hour. And the people are not happy about this. But how many of us have been sidetracked by an attack of the enemy? And if I ask in in this room this morning, have you been attacked by the enemy? Have you been attacked by Satan? Have you been attacked uh, uh, by, by evil before? I'm sure all of us could answer yes. In some way, shape, or form, we have experienced some sort of attack. Some sort of hindrance in our walk with the Lord. Some sort of hindrance in our spreading of the gospel. And the enemy does this. Why does he do this? Does he do this to make us not saved? Does he do this to take away our salvation? No, he can't do that. 
right? He can't do that. But what he can do by, 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 by uh, uh, trying to, uh, to, to attack us is to slow the spread of the gospel down and to stop it and to hinder us from spreading the gospel. And many of us may have used this as an excuse to slow down the spread of the gospel in our lives. But friends, we can't let the attack of Satan to hinder our spread of the gospel. So this is the question. What should we do when the enemy unrelentlessly attacks us? Turn around, ask Christ to get him off your back, and keep advancing the gospel. Right? Keep advancing the gospel. Number four, this is the next question. What do I do when I'm, I'm unjustly beat down? What do I do when I'm unjustly beat down? Let's look at verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. And the advocate, uh, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them and they gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they inflicted, uh, when they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and he fastened their feet with the stocks. So here you have Paul and Silas, who's picked out from the four. Remember, it's Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, right? They pick out Paul and Silas. Why? Because Timothy and Luke are Gentiles, okay? Uh, They come from Gentile descent. Paul and Silas, they're Jewish. They look Jewish, right? So they pull Paul and Silas out. And probably because Paul's the main one speaking, they pull Paul and Silas out and, 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 and they throw them into prison. And before they throw them into prison and shackle them up, they beat them like bloodily. They beat them. So you can imagine Paul and Silas sitting in this prison with metal clasps around their feet. You can imagine Paul and Silas bruised and bloody and swollen up. I imagine, you know, one of their eyes being swollen shut and the blood you know, coming down and, 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 and black and blue all over. They are beaten. They are in pain. They are hurting. And they're in prison. If at any time they have a right to complain, now would be it, right? Because not only are they emotionally harmed, not only uh, are, are they, 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 they brought aside uh, with their plans, but now they are physically harmed. And, and they had every right, by our standards and by world standards, to complain, to whine, and to moan, Lord, look, look at what's happening to me. Look at why is this happening to us? We're just sharing the gospel. Why are people beating us? Why are people, why are people persecuting us? In verse 25, let's see how they respond. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And this is a key this is a key little part. Don't miss this. And the prisoners were doing what? Listening to them. They were giving thanks to God. They were singing hymns. Hymns of what? Hymns of God's goodness. Hymns of hope that they had in God. Hymns of 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 the gospel of who Jesus is. They had these in the early church. 
hymns that, that tell the story of Christ, even in their distress, black and blue and bloodied and swollen and hurting, even in their distress, they're preaching the gospel through song. And guess what? The unbelievers, the prisoners are there listening and they're hearing this. Do you give up when you are being unfairly treated? Do you give up when you're just beat down? Listen, I know, I get it. Look, I get emotionally beat down sometimes. I get physically, sometimes I'm just exhausted. Physically, emotionally, mentally, you ever been there? I got, listen, I got four kids. So mentally, I get exhausted quite a bit. And mentally, I get exhausted, right? And I have the choice to either lay back and say, oh, I'm going to veg out. I, I just need, and yes, look, time to yourself is important. Time to recoup, yes, that's important. But it doesn't take away from the, from the opportunity for us to advance the gospel. And it didn't take away from Paul and Silas's opportunity to advance the gospel. In fact, it enhanced their opportunity to share the gospel Do you count your life over when you're being persecuted for sharing the hope in Jesus? Or do you continue on the path? Thank you, Lord, for for, for providing for me now, even though I'm going through suffering right now. So the question is this. What should we do when we're unjustly beat down? We need to thank God, sing a hymn of God's goodness, and what? Keep advancing the gospel. Keep advancing the gospel. You, you get, you're picking up on a pattern here. All right. Question number five. What do I do when my enemy, enemy is at his lowest point? What do I do when my enemy is at his lowest point? Verse 26. And suddenly, they're in prison. So, and suddenly, there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were open. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke, he saw that the prison doors were open. And he drew a sword in order to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Hey, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for the, for the lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night because they all believed and they washed uh, and, and they and they washed their wounds and he was and he was baptized at once he and his family and he brought them up into his house and set food before them and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God Paul and Silas had witnessed the miraculous but they were so in tune to the Lord listen that they realized that that miracle that that supernatural event of the earthquake happened and just so happened that because of the earthquake, the doors flung open. And just so happened because of the earthquake, the shackles came loose. That's not coincidence, is it? This is a, a supernatural act of the Lord. But Paul and Silas realized that this supernatural miraculous event was not for them. It wasn't for them. If it was for them, they would have escaped. They would have got out of Dodge. But they realized they're so in tune with God that they realized that the miracle was not for them but for the unbeliever that was there with them. And in his stress, the unbeliever, the jailers, gets at the end of his rope because he knows if these prisoners escape, even though this was an earthquake, it really wasn't his fault. 
This is a supernatural event. But even though the prisoners escaped on his watch, he was going to die the next day. That's what happened to jailers like that. If the prisoner escapes, you die. Right? And so he realized he was going to die the next day. He didn't want to go out like that. He drew a sword to kill himself. But Paul and Silas realized where this jailer was. He knew they knew where he was at emotionally. He knew they, uh, they knew his need, what he needed at that point, and he needed the gospel. And Paul and Silas call out to him. They're aware of the sailor's depression or the jailer's depression. So what do they do? They share the gospel with him in moments where we. Uh, where our enemies, our so-called enemies, those people that don't really like us very much, get what's coming to them. Do we rejoice or do we, uh, are we tempted to ignore them? Or are we caring for such people? And do we use the opportunity to share the hope of Jesus with them? So this is the question, what should we do when our enemies are at their lowest point? Cry out so that their lives would be saved. And... Keep advancing the gospel. And this is the last question, and we'll end with this. What do I do when I'm forced to move on from where I'm at? Verse 35. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police, let these men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now, go in peace. Jailer's pretty happy about this. Go, just go ahead. They, they're going to let you go. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and they have thrown us into prison, and now they want to take us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves. Let them come to the jail. Let them take us out. And let them apologize to us. And the police reported these words to the magistrates. And the magistrates were greatly afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. Why? Because they weren't supposed to be doing that to Roman citizens. They weren't supposed to be beating Roman citizens. They weren't supposed to be jailing Roman citizens like this. So they're scared for their lives. They're scared for their jobs. They're scared for their positions. Paul knows this. So they came and apologized to them. And they personally asked them to leave the city and walk them out of the jail. So they went out of prison and visited Lydia And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and then departed. Why in the world would Paul just not leave when he was let go? Why would Paul make such a big deal that he was a Roman citizen? There's two things that I want to show you here in these passages of Scripture, in these verses right here. Number one is this. Paul had leverage over, he's not being manipulative, but but he had leverage over these magistrates. And guess who he's about to leave? He's about to leave the city. And guess who he's about to leave behind? These two new converts, the jailer and Lydia. And he's going to leave somebody else. We'll look at that in a moment. But he's about to leave these brand new Christians in a city of thousands. And he doesn't want the magistrates and the officials to give them flack. So he's saying, you come and you, uh, you're, you're under my thumb. Paul's saying, you're basically under my thumb right now. You do what I want right now. You're going to walk me out, and you're basically going to treat these Christians right. And you're not going to, you're not going to arrest them. You're not going to beat them. You're not going to do everything. He takes care of his own people. There's something else here that I want you to notice. Did you notice it again? In verse 40, the pronouns change back to they. 
they departed from there. And in 17, 1, chapter 17, verse 1, the pronouns continue with they. So what is the implication here? Luke, the writer of Acts, is left behind in the city of Philippi to take care of these young, brand new converts. And this is the same church. The jailer, Lydia, possibly the demon-possessed girl that got free from demon, demon possession. We don't know about that one for sure. But this is the same church. This starts with the same church that Paul writes to, and he writes the letter of Philippians to. Look, when you think that God doesn't know what he's doing in your life, you better rest assured he does. Oh, he does. He sent them to Troas to pick up Luke, and he dro- they drop Luke off in the next city in Philippi to take care of brand new Christians. God knew exactly what he was doing when he sent Paul and Silas and Timothy on this mission. So the question is this, what should we do when we are forced to leave? Because they forced them to leave town. They forced them to move on. Take care of your people and keep advancing the gospel. Keep advancing the gospel through ruined plans. Advance the gospel through unmet expectations. Advance the gospel through unrelentless attack. Advance the gospel through unjust beatings. Advance the gospel through your enemy's low points. Advance the gospel when you get forced out. And know that every circumstance, just like them, every circumstance that you are in is an opportunity for you to advance the gospel. Amen? Let's pray.